0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Ashtanga Dispatch Podcast. I'm Peg Mulqueen, your host. As with most great ideas, this one wasn't mine. (laughs) Today's episode is a little different. It was David Grieg who called me a few weeks back on a whim. How would I like to join him in some chats around the Yoga Sutras? You know, each of us offering our own unique perspectives and reflections. And when I say unique, I mean oddly mismatched, because if you know David and you know me, then you also know we could not be any more different in our background and experience. But that's what he thought would make this interesting. And I agree. I believe it's a good thing to share various viewpoints, even when they might seem like they're at odds with each other. That's how we grow in our understanding. David went ahead and let me choose the first Sutra. And as a writer and all-around lover of words, it should come as no surprise that it was Yoga Sutra 3.17 that I chose, which basically states this. There's a natural confusion of words, meaning, in our own conceptual experience that arises when we superimpose one upon the other. But with perfect focus on distinguishing between the three, we learn the language of all beings. Basically words matter, as does our experience, use, and interpretation. Words like discipline, tradition, modification, and even the word yoga itself. So we chose a few and attempted to dissect. Our discussion was held live on Clubhouse, but also recorded for you today, and we hope to offer more like this. So if you're interested in attending live, follow me on Clubhouse at Pegmall and join the Ashtanga Dispatch Club. Or simply make sure that you receive our dispatch email that goes out every month around the full moon. There, you'll receive our latest musings, notes from the garden, upcoming classes, and events like these free online discussions. Visit AshtangaDispatch.com to sign up. All right, let's go ahead now and jump into David and my somewhat lively banter around words. This yoga sutra, when you asked, it was the first one that came to my mind, which shouldn't be a surprise because I'm a flipping writer. I mean, words are my thing, right? If you, you know, cause you've received emails from me, I tend to be wordy anyway, but I also choose my words often. I try to, yeah. and Actually, speaking is harder for me because written, I feel like I can be a lot more clear with my words Mm -hmm. than spoken. Sometimes something will slip out and I'm like, oh, that's not what I meant. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So why don't you explain Yoga Sutra 3. Okay. All right. So, um,
1: well, so for one thing, I... um, I always look at a sutra in um, two distinctly different senses, uh, and one is as I take it to the mo- to to what I call its lowest common denominator. Right? It's like it's most ordinary, it's most um, practical, it, it's most worldly, and in a sense, you you could say, or its widest. Um, interpretation possible and uh be because i'm trying to get use it right but but and then on the other hand this these things every sutra is very deep very profound and it's pointing to it's it's an exploration of the mind and of the workings of the mind and consciousness and um, from the, the the whole spectrum of consciousness and it's, and it's looking at spiritual consciousness, really. And so, so, and when you look at, when you try to see the spiritual consciousness, it can get very abstract and um, difficult to understand. And so that's why I like using both, like finding what's the most, what is this saying, just like in an ordinary sense, and then what are the real possibilities if you really dig into the words and the Sanskrit and how the different um, philosophical schools and stuff are using the terms. And so for me, the, the most ordinary um, Swami Sachit Dhananda is a beautiful person to present you with that. And I love his interpretation of it. And I'm going to read it to you of this sutra. Um, So he says, simply, the sutra means a word, its meaning, and the idea behind it are normally confused because of the superimposition of one upon the other. And so by a sanyama on the word, so sanyama just means a deep study of the word, or sound produced by any being, knowledge... Of its meaning is obtained, okay. And so, so those three words though are very uh, deep: shabda, uh, artha, and Pratyaya. And but he breaks them down into the uh, just uh, the word, the meaning, and it's uh, the idea behind it, okay. And so, and that's what. Like we, Peg and I, we talked the other day and we just really got um, fired up over the like we we started with the word normal. Right. And your and your recent writing and how you wrote like and it's a kind of buzz thing that people some it's like. Some people are like, I can't wait to get back to normal. And and then and other people are going, what, getting freaking out on that statement, saying we, they're saying either they don't like the past normal. And so we don't need to go back to that. In fact, we need to go somewhere new. Um, But then, and your point, you had several cool points in your writing and one was just trying to like, what is normal and like take and, and that it doesn't really exist in a way that, and you can see it in nature that because there's constant change that the idea of what we would think of as normal, like like you had the seasons kind of in there. So that when there when it's fall, it gets colder. And then it snows in the winter and like these sort of normal- except
0: in Montana. Yeah. Because we only have, yeah, except in Montana because we have- <laughs> No, but except We're for in- everywhere. There's always anomalies. Except for everywhere.
1: Yeah, yeah there's always anomalies, right? And mm-hmm. and so so then um but and so what we're really looking at then is that it's a it's such a it's like what I love about this sutra is that it it makes exploring the words that you use and the assumptions you make about them central to your practice. Okay, and this is so important because we're constantly it, it, that we're constantly kind of going on pre-assumptions and um, habits and kind of um, conditioned responses to everything, to, to, to the words we're using um, to, and they, and that translates into like what we do on the mat. So how we do our postures, how we breathe, uh, how we think and respond and act. And, um, and so, so what and what it's saying is that those are confused because we don't really study, or we we get confused and we don't and we're not able to uh, get list hear what the the whole world is saying to us. We get, we don't understand because we're we've confused the the word, the meaning, and the idea that we have behind it, and so we've got to like take the time to separate those different things out and and really um, analyze them.
0: It was so interesting. Megan and I were doing a course and I wanted to use the word mistake. I think I was just saying like, mistakes are part of the process or don't be afraid to make mistakes or whatever. Whatever way I was using it, Megan said, ooh, can we think of another word other than mistake? And I was like, why? Cause everyone makes mistakes, like mistakes are part of it. And she said, it really brings up people. It, it triggers an emotional response when you say mistake and people don't like the word itself will trigger something. So we did a little experiment. And when I said to the class, I was going to use the word mistake. They immediately responded with what Megan has said. And that is Ugh. like, it just, it, it immediately took them someplace emotional, it had it was not um it was a it was an unconscious in some ways reaction that you became conscious of but it wasn't really broken down and that's where this whole idea that the word the meaning and our perception of it get all confused and we have a reaction that isn't always conscious or deliberate or distinct or clear yes and like when we're thinking about communicating if I use the word mistake a lot with people and I might be thinking of it in one way, I think of it as a very positive thing. It's, it's, it's how we learn. We make mistakes. And actually that's how we grow. And I think that's what I was saying was like, that's a part of the learning process is kind of recalibrating after those. Mi- so I was like, we're thinking of other words. We're trying to find agreeable words, missteps, um, Trial and error, I think, is what we came up with. Trial—it's a constant process of trial and error because mistake had emotional baggage with it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and even and and obviously, so does normal for a lot of people. <laughs> obviously, right? And but see, but the thing is, is to me, it's a very um, delicate uh, conversation, that, that, and uh, because. We have to be careful that, like, because many there's words that are becoming like sort of taken off the table, like mistake or ideal or um, standard or normal. And they and because we have these negative associations with them. Right. And so. But we don't want to diminish our language. Keeps getting smaller and smaller. Right. And um, and so so and this is part of what I feel like the sutra is getting at. It's like um, sort of. And this is what we're trying to talk about here, but it's challenging to talk about. Right. Because and um, so but let's go back to your I, the, the word mistake again, because um, to me, it's something I've worked on really hard in my um, teaching because I I definitely noticed that sort of um, I call it like there's the there's sort of I I, I, I put it in these really um, crude terms at first, but it's like no versus yes. And, um, and so a mistake is pointing out a mistake is a way of saying kind of no, that's not the way. And, um, and to me, you just like you're I'm agreeing with you, you, you can't just remove pointing out the wrong way. Like if you do that, it's such a limiting thing. But at the same time, then you I'm still I've worked so hard to be aware of, okay, if I'm going to say no, then what is yes or how, how do I articulate what's going to what we're going to do on the new try and um, what's the correction and, and so you don't just stop with no and you and me we have a history right remember the no peg and oh my god yes. yeah and <laughs> but but and that was some years ago and I would really yeah. turned that around because it doesn't I feel like in the end, it 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 might be totally true that it's no, but but still, you want to you want the person to hear your guide, give, receive your guidance, and so so you've got to figure out a way to um, point out the yes without diminishing the. The learning, basically, right?
0: Because it Yeah. Well, I think what I'm hearing is that, or and and also what I've experienced is that our initial we have to be conscious of what the word, the meanings the word holds and various perceptions. Like as a teacher or a counselor or even a human being in a relationship, we want to be aware of the words that we're using and what they might conjure for other people as well. Not that we would take them out, but that we can have even. To me, I don't see it as getting narrower; I see it as getting bigger. Use different words, find mm-hmm. different ways of saying things. Yeah, so what you're saying is okay. The no isn't resonant. Like that's that's bringing up a maybe an emotional reaction, even though yeah, you do have to kind of we are recalibrating all the time. Part of it is you know. You know, making mistakes and yeah. figuring out. I mean, sometimes the best way to find a better way is to find the wrong way. We know that's not the direction we go a different way. I mean, yeah. those are those are good things. But the words we use around them by by being conscious of various perceptions and meanings and what people are thinking when you say it just forces us to use other words too to make it to that we can expand our own vocabulary. One of the good things is like Robert and I were talking about it before I got on the phone call with you. We were talking about our first word, which was discipline. And he and I were going back and forth and he said something, what he thought it meant. And I rephrased it back to him, what I thought I heard him say. And he said, yes, but... And he got a little bit more clear and he added more. So I got a better understanding of what he, the picture he had of discipline in his mind, what he was trying to convey so that I could understand the language, right? And so clear, clarifying and bringing clarity, it allows us to grow our toolbox because I think sometimes we use words and we assume because words are great because they can encompass a whole lot of different meanings and we can they're efficient you know we can use a word and it it conveys something but but then we get lazy we use the same word you know or and and we don't realize the very many meanings that that's for other people and then for us We also have to be aware of what they're triggering in us. Like the first reaction of a word, especially a triggering word is an emotional reaction. So it's not even from the brain. It's not even like the definition. It's like how it makes us feel based on an old experience, usually. And discipline is, I think, well, let me just say this. I think normal is actually happening. I think people are really anxious about going back to normal because then the, we got a new normal now. So we got a new routine and a new thing. And now we're like going back, which doesn't seem normal at all. It seems actually kind of foreign because we've traveled away. Do you know what I'm saying? Like um, anyway, so the word normal is, 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 is triggering people's anxiety over change again. Um, yeah. And, but discipline is a good one.
1: Okay. So let's, I, I want to break down We like, discipline for for a moment, just like, because, because it's so um, connected to practice too. like tapas is the Sanskrit word that's sort of equivalent to discipline. And, um, and you had told me a little bit earlier that like, you put that out to people and they, there was so much negativity around the word discipline. And if you, and, and you see, so part of, to me, what, See, what I do in my own self, in my own practice, is it, I, I go through the exact process you just um, mentioned, which is I, I'm using a word and I, I've got an emotional reaction or I've got a, um, a working uh, – this is how I use that word, okay? and um, Or maybe it's more than one way, but it's set ways, okay? And I'm always – every time I go to the dictionary and I look up that word, I, I, what I get usually is one is I get sort of uh verification or some kind of like, Oh, okay. I can see why I went there emotionally with it. I, I understand that. And then, but then I see that it's, it's usually got a more uh, either the first meaning is not that meaning that the, the, the connotation or the the what I got from it is more secondary actually than primary and um and then the word is way more um beautiful and um kind of embr- embracing or embracing a, a, a broader or somehow more profound or more useful spirit than I ha- was attaching to it right and um and then I also get what, see, this is, and this is what I think is super cool, Peg, is that I get the idea that you, you, your definition and your use of words changes and, and it's supposed to. So you're not supposed to get stuck using a word in the same way and then it's like, oh, that triggers this in me, so that's that forever. You see, and it's like, no, you you. I can grow into a new uh, context of the word. And so like d- discipline, just it's so I'm just going to go through a few of the definitions that uh, of it. And so it's like um, the practice of training people to obey rules um, or a code of behavior. And and then so that's like that, that's somewhat neutral, right? I mean, it's, it, but it can, if you're kind of rebellious and you don't like to be told what to do, then that already will throw you off. Right. To, Cause it's like trying to get people to obey rules. Okay. So, and then, but it goes worse than that. It goes using punishment, oh, right. using punishment to correct disobedience. That's discipline. Right. And, um, and it's, but, So, but listen, but then here here goes this, which is, um, it's an activity, exercise, or regimen that develops or improves a skill. Now that, that's why I like discipline. It's just simply, right? It's so simple actually, it's just an activity or an exercise or a regimen that develops a skill. It's so beautiful, right? And so pertinent to what yoga
0: is. It's just, right? Well, interesting because in my little informal Instagram survey, discipline and practice for many became synonymous. So that was something, there was some overlap there. A lot of people describe discipline as practice and practice as discipline. Right. On the, on the other hand, And I love the fact that you went to the dictionary. So isn't that what what this yoga sutra is saying? It's saying, get clear. Yes. Start to take apart the threads. And part of that is looking at the definition. You went for the definition. You know where I go? To the root where it came from. I love, I am obsessed at finding where words come from so that I can understand, just like you said, I want to understand where I get this feeling from. Why does this bring this up in me where, you know, and I can understand it. Oh, I read the, I read the definition. I go back to look at the root yeah. and see where, how did it get here? Yeah. And so like, that's what I did. And I went and it was the first one was a verb and it was treatment that corrects or punishes. So like, you Um, and then it goes to a noun in Latin and it's, much more beautiful, right? It's pupil, student, or instruction. And the idea that what happened was is the two got blended. So it's teaching as a way to correct or punish. You know, that's like many people associated discipline with um, fundamental parenting styles. So you're going way back, like discipline a child, um, discipline your dog. I thought at least three or four people said I have none. And I thought, oh, my gosh, that is why it triggers it in me. I can't even tell you how many times I've been told. I need more discipline or if, only, you know, I, in fact, I can remember. So, you know what you need? Discipline from college professors to yoga teachers and You know, I mean, obviously, if there's consistency and message, there's something to be had there. But what it ended up leaving me with was not something specific, but rather a generalized judgment. Mm -hmm. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, like it was like something I was lacking a defect. So immediately when someone says discipline I no longer think of the actual definition of the word. I just think of my emotional reaction. That's something I'm not. That's something I'm bad at. It's something I'm supposed to be, but. Right. Yeah. And not. And so then when I think about it, I was like, well, actually, if we got more specific instead of. Less and use generalized. I thought about this in terms of me, like why does discipline rub me wrong? And partially it's because of the emotional reaction that it comes from being told. But really, I feel like discipline is remembering what's important and behaving in a way that reflects that and just like um that there's things that go into it, effort, attention. And, um, and certainly I could use a little bit more staying power. And, and so I can, I can see those, like, those are skills, like you said, I can develop staying power, Um, uh, attending longer, constant, you know, being more focused um, could definitely be something I could, I am constantly working on, but now it no longer sounds like something I'm just not. And. Some way of conformity, like you need to obey the rules or you need to like uh, do this because I said so. It's more like, ah, oh, yeah, I I could I quit a little early. A lot of the times I could use a little bit more staying power. I'm working on that yeah. or concentration. Do you know what I mean? Like to me, that's yeah. the topest is that the the top is the friction that coming and facing yourself and going, yeah, these things are true about me. I, these are things I want to work on, and it's going to take effort to work on them. It's going to take action. It's going to take uh, all right discipline. What do you want? I mean, yeah, sure. Well, <laughs> you it, know, now I can use the word discipline. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, and so for me, then, if you look at the tapas, so tapas is, has really negative uh, in, implications, right? It, it's it's so it means um, penance. Um self-inflicted torture austerity right Yep, yeah. and um pain suffering severe meditation uh bodily mortification and um okay and so those are the the most negative that i in my little summary and, and which they're very negative um and they're but they see to me though it's weird how i come from it because i i me, I tend to come from liking the word discipline and liking the word tapas, and and not. And I, I I won't say that I feel like that with every word, but like I'm I'm not on the side of the fence that just the word discipline scares me, right? It, it's more, but and and so, but I'm a teacher, so I partly have to understand that, but I also. I do, I have felt the negative effects of discipline and tapas in my uh, practice and in in my teaching. And like, it's a very, um, it's a kind of historic place that tapas came from, you know, like yogis basically depriving themselves brutally and radically to turn away from the physical world. And, um, and thinking that they, that was, it was like cruel to be kind, kind of like that. This was going to be an effective way to, um, to, to lessen your suffering actually, because the attachment to um, the worldly life and the, desires and consumption and things that those we can't underestimate what a stronghold indulgence has on us and 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 the harm that it brings us and so so to go to a place of tapas uh, like that that can go all the way to this other extreme of harm and like torturing yourself to to me I'm still going to Um, entertain that concept very seriously, even though it has a deep shadow. Right. And, um, and so it also means it, it, in the more positive sense, it it means deep meditation or concentration. And it also just means um, fire and heat and, and warmth. And, and you see, this is the other thing that I I feel like um, I I have a real uh, strong feeling about that, um, I feel a bit of a pioneer in it. I Maybe that's my own self-perception. I don't know. But um, I feel that, you see, the yogis of the past did their best. Okay, And, and it's always evolved um, through time. And now at the present, it's also evolving. We are evolving it. And so we don't – it's not – in every sense, the the series, the everything that we're doing in our practice, is um, not like the Ten Commandments written in stone, and we're trying to live up to that. And they they did it better than us in the past, or they were the full on example, and they presented it whole. No, 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 that that is not it. And I mean, in the the near past, like your teacher or the, and your teacher's teacher and way back. Okay. And, and so, but we are evolving it forward now. And so me, I don't want a future in yoga that doesn't have the word tapas or discipline. Okay. I, I want tapas, but I, and so I'm going to remember the the negative impulse that like the bed of nails and the walking for 13 years with your arm raised above your head until it's withered, and things like that. Okay, we're not going to go there. Or um, doing postures and series that are totally beyond your um, genetics or your experience or very right. That there's many ways we torture ourselves, and we we our tapas is um, not positive, and and that and it will. It can t- cause us to basically rebel against tapas and think that it's a uh, it's something harmful or um, not to be trusted. And to me, so we need to kind of keep redefining tapas and celebrating. To me, the the most beautiful image that I I can think of is the the Native American um, the this the vision quest. See, that's how I think of tapas. It's like you, you you take one, you take time to go off by yourself you don't eat and drink that it's not time for that it's time for inward reflection and looking within yourself for your your duty and your mission here and to get serious about what you're doing here in this life and to be able to respond to your circumstances okay and then, and then and you you go you perform tapas to for self-knowledge that you're going to share with the world. Okay. And, and so a certain amount of restraint and, and discipline and uh, deprivation and even penance, like you have to realize the, that when we go through our day, there's, we're like what you're saying, there's mistakes being made that we kind of have to purify. And it, it, it's real. And um, and so we want to to sell, find the way to do that as a celebration and without um, inflicting harm on ourselves.
0: Well, OK, so I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm, I'm laughing over your bed of nails analogy. And the <laughs> but I am thinking to myself, you know, partially to me, tapas is like an everyday thing or hopefully not completely. But the bigger the mistake, like, for example, I say something or do something that hurts someone. Right. And maybe it's not my intention. Maybe it is. Maybe I'm just being small in that moment and I've done something wrong and I know I've done it wrong. You know, when you've done something wrong, like when you've, when it is your fault, like legit. Your face, I mean, you feel it. Tapas, you don't have to explain it to me. My face gets red. My heart, I just feel awful. It is such an uncomfortable feeling when you know that you've done something wrong. Um, and I'm not talking about like you skipped a pose in practice. I'm talking about like you spoke and maybe out of anger or whatever, and you hurt somebody. And then you feel that like awful feeling. So you can do one of two things. Tapas to me is not escaping that feeling. That feeling is the heat of what's happened. And you have to kind of stay with it and move and do what's necessary to Correct it, whether it right. means owning up and taking responsibility. I know, but Peg, but pig, right? hold on. That's I. I t- yes,
1: yes, but see, but this is but practice. You see, practice basically gives you the strength and the power to not escape. Okay, so you can't just expect that you'll do it. You'll do that. See, that's, that practice is like a training to do that. And that's where, where it can derail. Yeah, just because you have to check your, I mean, no. it. Yeah, you have to check your impulses, right? And because um, I hear you. I'm, I'm with you that definitely tapas is the non-escaping when you either want to lash out or... Sort of misbehave in some way, and you're going to hurt somebody or yourself, um, or you've done it, and then you don't, you got to like look at it, right? Um, but it's also there's it's 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 a preparation for having the power to do that, I feel like, too,
0: not just, you know, I, right? Because, yeah, uh, no, I definitely, I definitely think it's that. Yes, I do think it's that time set aside. I think it's that mindful, whether it's a physical practice, it's, it's in many ways. I think that you have to set that time aside. I think it's important that we sit with those things or, and you practice those things. Maybe, I feel like the asana practice is a little less threatening like you can practice it in an asana practice and, you know, you haven't really harmed anybody. You can like see those things come up, feel the heat of the moment, your need to escape or you're wanting whatever those things are. Yeah, yeah. And you can work them out on a mat. But they're a little less like, uh, yeah, they're a little they're, they're actually a little less heated than when you've actually. Yeah. Done. I mean,
1: yeah. Yeah. And, and but, but and they but they have to have some heat behind them, too, like but both like that right? When you, your practice, you have to be attached to it enough so that it raises up those kind of feelings in you that would cause you to want to do something that needs correction. <laughs> or, or the. No, so you, correction. That's, that's what
0: you're saying. You get used to it. That yeah. friction has to be in that every day. There is friction. I get that. Yeah. You know, there is that friction. Yeah. All right. I'm going to I'm going to throw out our next word because and I'm going to actually tell a story around it to introduce it. Okay, the next word is going to be modification (laughs) and modification when it was interesting because my husband's uh, word when I said modification was, you know, just simply a synonym. I think he said adaptate adaptive. Um, But I remember modification. Many people responded with limited don't um yeah like and then a lot of like permission like we should be giving permission they're necessary it's innate but but you can tell that when you get to the yogis there's a whole bunch of shit tied up with with when we say modification it brings up even the word adaptive brings up a lot of things for people i remember this very clearly. I don't know if you'll remember it or not, but about six or seven years ago, I was in the yoga room with you in the Mysore room. And I, I was practicing next to a friend and we wanted to know how we could exit the Viparita Dandasana. Like we wanted some help with that. So we asked you, Hey, can you tell us how? And you said, oh, and you said we could you gave us some options, could use a block. And I remember you walking away and my friend saying, I'm not using no fucking block. And with that, she did the exit perfectly. And I was like, yeah, I'm not using no freaking block. And I fell on my back. So (laughs) so, totally didn't work for me. And it was and, and then I think that. Next day, you asked me not to practice next to my friend anymore. Um, probably a really, in fact, the, it, we got separated. Um, it was a funny story because I'm remembering, but that is sort of the idea. I'm watching my dad who needs to use a walker and will not. There is something about that idea of using something, even though my dad is handicapped, has been for a long time. He's also 80 six, 85, 86 now. He's like, I mean, a walker would help him get around. We could actually do more if he would use the walker. But for him, it is that idea. It triggers the limitation. It highlights something that he sees as a deficit. And, and that is, by the way, not how the dictionary defines modification at all. Um, It just says, right. The act of altering in character, form, or function. And then that's the old, of course, you know, I went with the root word. That's what the old way was. And then modern times says that we alter it usually to make it work better. Yep. So like, it's not just so, but you say modification in there a lot of circles not just yoga circles i just gave you two you know my, you know my dad and um and you get this like feeling of there's something wrong with me if i have to modify alter whatever it shows i am limited or not doing it correct
1: yeah i i mean to me i'm just I'm so bummed that it has that implication.'m I'm, my so much of my teaching is directed at um, well, I try I mean me, partly it's reversing that, but also it's it, more than that because that's sort of no it's the no part of it. The yes part is the is what I focus on is like the all the advantages that you get by modifying. And, um, and I, I want, if you don't mind, I want to, I could speak up a little bit about that because it's super, um, important to me. Please do. Um, so, um, well, I just love the, for one thing, it's, it's just like what you said, a modification is simply something that has changed slightly, especially to improve it or make it more, um, acceptable or less extreme. See less extreme is such a good, Uh, I like that. Very, very important um, thing. And so the thing is, is that what I, that what I, how I approach the postures is for one, I, they're literally, they don't make it into the series or like into common use over a long period of time, like, or one of the criterion that makes them, last, like, triangle, and shoulder stand, and Janu Sirsasana, you know, Navasana, is that they are impossible to perfect. Okay, so, and that, of course, we all have our, like, strong poses where we can sort of approach uh, an ideal, and then we have our weaker poses, and um, but the, the, the thing is, is that the asana, no matter who you are, forces you to make concessions. Okay, and so a concession is something given in recognition of a difficulty. Okay, and so so what happens is that we all concede something. So we don't we don't do a pose with perfect alignment, uh, perfect lines, perfect breathing, and and so we end up doing something. We modify it. We adjust. And we, and so if you, if you throw out the word modification, then you do what I call modifying by default. You just, you're, you do what your body does. And then, and you assume that that's the best way to do it. And, and so, but to me, what I've seen is that the best way to do it is to choose your concessions. Oh, there it is. Okay. And so, so this is beautiful. Okay. Because, because what, and what I have found is that most people can get what I call the essence, the Swarupa. And you could almost even call it the Shabda, that word that's in this sutra, because it's, it's getting at the core, the root of it. And and what we, but what we end up doing is focusing on the superficial details, the the ones that I'm ready to concede much faster than average, um, and because I want to get to this essence, and um, and then, then I am free to. Um, see, because it, get back to what you said, Peg, which is that people don't want to modify because they feel that then they're a failure or that they're che- they, they are less than, that they, now they don't get to do a good or they can't do a good version of the pose or something. You see, and, and to me, um, you see, I'm not graced with one of these super strong, super flexible bodies, Okay. And so that is partly like, and I might have a whole different philosophy if I was, but me, I, I have to work very hard and make a lot of concessions. And so to me, but what I have found is this beautiful perfection within the modifications that I do. And I want to read to you the definition of ideal because this is key in the whole um, subject of modification.
0: I knew you were going to get to ideal.
1: (laughs) Okay, so but an ideal, so of course, and it's one of those negative words that people basically, many people want to just throw it out. The moment they hear it, they hear perfectionism, they hear an external standard that they need to live up to and that they're always going to not feel adequate around. Okay. But listen to this. This is the first definition of ideal, too. This is the right off the top of the list. It is, listen, this is so beautiful, satisfying one's conception, one's conception of what is perfect, most suitable, or what constitutes very good. That is all. It's just, it's satisfying your conception. It's not an outer conception. It's your conception of what constitutes perfect or um, most- Suitable. Or suitable. You said suitable. Yes. Or just if it's perfect's too much for you, then what's very good? <laughs> yeah. You see, and this is- I love this. And you see, like, this is my whole practice. This is how I operate. I, and I, so I do conceive of the ideal. I, I do conceive of, I I, I, I apply a standard. Okay. And, and what is a standard? It's just simply a level of quality or, or an attainment and it's an idea or a thing used to measure. OK, and so this is practice. And what's amazing to me is like so like binding in a twist. OK, to me, the I, I may not grab my arm around my back in Marichyasana C. And, and yet I don't I don't have a problem making that concession. And because to, to me, the perfection is in how I ground my legs and how I um, work with my arms in relation to my legs and how I rotate my spine. Now, there I can find this beauty and this amazing uh, 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 mm, kind of objective in practice, right?
0: Yes. But what you're saying is conscious. So I like what you would start off with modifications, adaptations, they happen inevitably. We, our body is, we are constantly adapting. Yeah. I mean, our bodies do it physiologically. There's, you know, acclimatization, like our bodies will naturally um Habituate, acclimatize to outside variables. And some of that is like important naturally, but also in the yoga practice, we will naturally adapt. Our bodies will, will do what we're going to do, but to make it conscious. And I can give a good example. You know, oftentimes we have this idea in backbending, right? Like, you know, we, we're, we're trying to achieve something or, or make a shape or whatever, and you'll see legs go really wide. Or how about this? This is a good one. Jump throughs. When we make our hands super wide, because we're trying to get our legs through our hands, our body through our hands. We think by making our arms super wide, but it's unconscious. People just do it over and over and it can wreck your shoulders, right? And over time, taking your hands super wide outside your shoulders, is going to put some damage yeah. there over yeah. t- the wear and tear, but it's not conscious. It's unconscious. It's like this idea that I want to get my body through. So, so your body is adapting to achieve some kind of um, arbitrary ideal. All right. Like that, cause that's not a real ideal from what you just explained. And that is an outside, like, this is the way it's done. But if you Mod, if I like, maybe it's like you bring your hands to where they need to be under your shoulders, but maybe your feet don't go all the way through at first. They don't go smoothly. Like you have to like get to the place where you can and then move them through. That is a deliberate or maybe you put your hands on blocks a few times, you know, or whatever it is, but you do it consciously. Yeah, because right. And that which was, it's not an unconscious thing that becomes a habit that your body is adapting unconsciously, but a conscious adaptation yeah and that is suitable for you exactly and you can also make it
1: can make you feel better if you're like so you got to use blocks to jump through with your arms the proper distance apart and but and that's and you can go and that's a concession darn it like but it but it's like okay but what's the alternative so right it's like if you know you're gonna make a concession then at least you can it is darn it you wish you could do it perfect of course you have the ultimate strength and flexibility but but you don't and so so and this is the thing though that i i really appreciate about this sutra and um and and just that idea of satisfying your own conception, you see. And, and when, so this, that Sanyama, it really, that's the spirit of that word, um, right? It's two words like samastitihi Sam, and Yama, like the Yama, the first limb, the restraint. And so it's like complete restraint, or um, it's like this very deep focus. And, um, and that is what you are doing in your practice with all the different uh, transitions, the asanas, and you know how you get into the asana, what you do when you're in it. But and but then it, and then it goes to the, your language, your the words that you're using, and the, the way that you're communicating in the world, and how you really are going to. Re- Take a deep analysis, a deep observation and a a deep commitment to growing and to uh, kind of expanding into newer, new and larger kind of um, expressions of these things. Right.
0: You know, and it's not just as students. I was thinking as a teacher, and I'm not talking about as a yoga teacher, like as a teacher in previous life, what you're taught is to modify your own behavior. The goal was for learning. So even as a teacher, you modify, you know, the way you say something, you say it different ways, you offer different ways some people can learn. You're not going with your own personal mode of operation or your own unique experience with it because it's bigger than that. And so you continually modify your language and your teaching approach as to help someone else. I mean, that's the teaching role too. I mean, yeah. And you would think we would do these things so, and we do do them so naturally. It's just, and and David, this is the sad part, is that we are out of time as far as the next word. And it the next David. word, of course... You know what it is? It's tradition. That's that next word. And and that's going to, that would, that could take us.
1: No, I know. I have to tell you one more thing though. Go, please. Okay. So, because this is so amazing about (laughs) the, the whole thing that I, uh, that I want to try to remember, I opened this by saying that, so you can, you can look at the word in terms of what is its deepest yoga sutra, Application, it's you know, and listen to this uh, idea of um, shabda of the word, okay, and um, and the 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 next one artha. To me, I see that it's like a, a ladder, okay. So that the pratyaya is like your conviction or your belief, and it it's like your ascertainment of the the meaning of the word, and so it's the most. Um, Gross, and then you're stepping through to to the meaning of to a, a more deeper meaning that's not um, your personal meaning. It's the meaning. It's a more broad kind of uh, objective meaning. Uh, but then the shab does the the root. That's the. It's like the thing before you attach any words to it, right? And and so, but the whole thing is directed towards um, dharma. If it's a spiritual thing, okay, because you're always trying to find the, the the deepest kind of most profound application of language, and we're not we're not here just to play around. We're not here for random purposes in these bodies for our time. We're here to do good things and to help shape a better world and to um, serve others and define these spiritual principles and live by them. Right, and so. Um, like listen to this um I'll t- just shabda it means well for one it means verbal communication or verbal testimony but it, it goes further it's it's it says that knowledge of dharma knowledge of your dharma it can only be attained by um verbal testimony by the medium of language Okay, and so this is the deep connection between the asana practice that we're doing that is, could be, it's silent, right? You're not talking, but you have to go ahead and take that stuff that you learn and verbalize it. You actually have to put it into language. You have to use your voice. Okay, and um, one other, sorry, I'm, I'm almost done, but I, I have to just tell you one other thing about it because this is good stuff. Keep going. Yeah. Um, you see, this is another, listen to this. So it goes as far as saying that the verbal testimony is the only means of right knowledge, um, that can be used to know the nature of the invisible effects of actions. OK, so see, this is the thing is like and you see just the fact that we're into yoga uh, asanas, Peg. It, many of us it, were more introverted and we are not as given to language. OK, and but this and this represents a super frontier, though. That we we have to battle within ourselves to find the words and to really define our words and define our communications and develop them, and and with the idea of getting to the most deepest parts of ourselves and um, in our own self and in our sharing. And um, and one last thing, is that the um, the word arta. I just want to it's what's amazing about it is that it's it's it means like the true sense or the meaning but it also means treasury in terms of what is helpful to humanity and it's born from dharma and buddhi and buddhi is the intel your your intelligence okay and so so we're not and we've sort of we've been saying this all along but we're just pointing it out that you're you're trying to evolve with your words and your language and get to a higher place as a human being and 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 represent all of humanity in that and help it, helping shift it and getting us all to grow right
0: mm-hmm. yeah that was awesome that's a, i mean i think right there is is there's so many, so many things to explore, but I love that we just took two words, just two simple words, and yeah, just really uncovered layers and talked about it. And in and, and that's what that's what it's saying is that we need to dive deep into those and be deliberate. And because that opens up our ability to communicate and make meaning and bring meaning. And that's Being able to be creative and playful
1: with
0: it yeah well for for the podcast i guess we can call that a a, a, A a to be continued yeah Yeah, yeah, let's call it a to be continued yeah thanks for listening i hope you enjoyed the discussion as much as david and i enjoyed having it And don't forget, if you would like to be a part of these discussions live on Clubhouse, make sure that you're following the Ashtanga Dispatch Club or receive our monthly email. Also, did you know that Ashtanga Dispatch has a new podcast? It's kind of like a walk and talk audio experience. It's called On the Path, and each month we will bring you on a new trail to explore and someone inspiring to walk along with. You can find On the Path, along with everything else that I've mentioned, at AshtangaDispatch.com. Today's episode was edited by Colin Cameron. Music is by Mark Pilley. Thanks again for joining.